It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Well, and thanks for tuning in here on this Wednesday morning. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yenji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Uh, you know, this morning we are spotlighting a coalition that not many people in the state and really throughout the country may know about. Yeah, there's something really exciting happening uh, when it comes to environmental and also, also culturally significant news uh, about a thousand miles off our islands, off our shores that could really impact generations to come. We've invited two folks from the Pacific Remote Islands Coalition. William Isla and Joni Peters are with us this morning. Thank you both for being here. Aloha, Ryan and Yuji. Thank you. Well, it's great to see you. And so there's some big news that is happening all the way from Washington when it comes to the uh, Pacific, Pacific Remote Islands. First off, <clears throat> let's start with the basics. Tell us, uh, Mr. Isla, if you could, where this is uh, and how much land we're talking about and what the president is seeking to do. Okay, thank you. It's a group of islands to the south and southwest of us, um, ranging from Wake Island, the furthest west, to uh, Jarvis, which is the furthest east and almost directly south of the island of Hawaii. Um, there are, it's made up of Johnson Atoll, Wake, Jarvis, Kingman, uh, and Palmyra, and then Howland and Baker Islands. So together, these, um, these remote islands, uh, once becoming part of a National Marine Sanctuary would actually be about 770,000 square miles of highly protected um, islands as well as um, important uh, marine resources. Uh, let me tell you what that compares to. So Papahanaumokuakea is 585,000 square miles and the state of Alaska fits right in between Papa and uh, the Pacific Remote Islands at uh, 665,000 square miles. Yeah, so, Joni, we're going to ask to follow up and expand a little more. Uh, if you can just explain uh, how the coalition came to be uh, and, and really the main purpose and the driving force be be behind this uh, coalition to be formed in the first place. Well, we started off um, in, well, protecting and expanding the Pacific Remote Islands um, back in the 2000s. Um, and then um, we went further to have, uh, to save Papahanaumokuakea, and that became a monument. And now we're looking towards um, expanding and protecting the Pacific Remote Islands. Um, doing the last two island units, um, from 50 nautical miles of protection out to 200 miles of protection. Um, we're, we're people from all walks of life. We're fishers, we're, um, we're practitioners, we're uh, conservationists, um, and we just want to see this area protected. 
Yeah, and if I could follow up with you, Joni, tell us a little bit about what you hope these protections would do and why, why they're needed for this space. Sure. Firstly, the protections would help uh, many marine species to thrive, um, especially from the disastrous effects from practices such as uh, deep sea mining, where the ocean floor is actually cut, cutting, they actually cut away um, of the deep ocean floor using robotic machines in hopes to find uh, metal and minerals, mainly used for manufacturing, uh, manufacturing of electronics. Uh, this practice destroys natural land formations, um, such as the numerous sea mounts that are out um, in the deep ocean. And um, it also produces underwater dust plumes and noise pollution. Um, this protection to this area um, will lessen the number also of bycatch by large commercial fishing fleets. Um, and this, this will help to rejuvenate the fish um, and different marine species in the area. Um, the benefits also um, from sanctuary protections would, um, would help uh, little animals such as the tube worms out there, the clams, the little clams, sponges, um, and some unusual fish which live on the bottom that live incredibly long lives. Um, and also the mag mag migratory shoreline and seabirds um, in that area as well would benefit. Um, and as well as um, more um, usual uh, species such as sharks, tuna, turtles, dolphins, and whales. Um, this marine protected areas will allow species to recover from overfishing and actually will be a benefit to the ecosystems, the communities there, the fisheries and the economies, making a way for the fisheries and the marine protected areas to possibly coexist. Bill, I'm wondering if you can just speak a little more about the history of the, the political side of this. I think there are some confusions when you, you, you know, when the discussion about uh, Papa Hanamoku Akea and President Obama under his administration uh, and the, and the um, you know, what, what happened there with his designation of, of that area uh, compared to what this is in the Pacific Remote Coalition. If you can kind of present some context uh, into the national picture of the history of that and what we're looking at now. You know, it's interesting. They both have similar histories. Um, both Papahanamoku Akea and the Pacific Remote Islands were initially protected by a Republican president, President Bush, who created uh, monuments in both areas. And then um, in 2014, uh, President Obama expanded uh, the uh, areas around both Papahanaumoku Akea from 50 miles out to 200 miles, and then um, also increased the protections around Jarvis, um, Johnson, and Wake out to 200 miles. Um, but for some reason, the protections around Howland and Baker and uh, Kingman and um, Palmyra remained at 50. So the efforts of the coalition today is really to rectify the um, areas around Kingman and Palmyra and uh, Howland and Baker out to 200 miles and then overlay the protections with a national marine sanctuary. Um, really important to understand in both cases that the protections as a monument don't go away. They're simply supplemented and complemented 
by a national marine sanctuary which has more resources and has more enforcement um, abilities such as uh, in introducing regulations versus the monuments which don't. So it adds a much higher layer of protection to both areas. You know, and Bill, I want to follow up with you. Joni did a wonderful job of telling us about the environmental impacts here and what those protections could do there. Can you tell us about the cultural significance of these sites? They seem, these islands seem just so far from us, but uh, before we hopped on, if you could tell our audience what you were sharing with us about how there is a tie back even to the kingdom of Hawaii. Yes, interesting fact that um... Palmyra and Johnson uh, were actually possessions of the Kingdom of Hawaii and thus came into the possession of the United States uh, through that mechanism. Um, later, Joni will talk about the Hui Panala'ao and cover how the other areas came into U.S. possession. Um, in Papahanaumokuakea, we have a unique um, seascape for voyaging that exists nowhere else in the world with the additional protections afforded by the marine sanctuary in the Pacific Remote Islands, we now can expand the voyaging, the cultural voyaging um, um, aspect throughout the entire Pacific, including our cousins from the Carolinas, the Marshallese, the Chamorro, the Tahitians, the Samoans, the Marquesans. Um, there is evidence to indicate that on these islands and atolls, there certainly were archaeological um, artifacts that indicate that uh, all of the groups uh, likely came through the area as Polynesia was um, occupied. So it's very, very important for voyaging aspects. Uh, uh, Polynesian Voyaging Society is about to embark with Hokule on a four-year journey around the Pacific. It's it's timely that the protections are uh, being requested at, you know, at the moment. Yeah, and, and Joni, if you wanted to add anything to that cultural significance and the impact that this will play uh, and, and the importance really of this designation and the importance of this coalition to move forward to protect some of these cultural histories and significant uh, impact to and ties to Hawaii. Sure. Um, in Hui Punala'au, um, was, was a name given to a group of 130 young men, um, newly high school graduates that were selected um, by the U.S. government with the aid of the Bishop Museum, who worked primarily with the Kamehameha Schools, to occupy Holland, Baker, and Jarvis Islands between 1935 and 1942 in hopes to colonize the islands. Um, in order to accomplish this, they needed to prove that the islands were resident occupied for a year. So they mostly sent Hawaiian men. Um, most of them were from the Kamehameha schools, um, along with some others from uh, local high schools to occupy the islands. Um, because, you know, they were mostly, they were most likely to survive over someone from the states um, on these islands. Uh, there were a total of 26 expeditions um, during that time frame. Um, when they landed on the islands, they were um, provided with rations, water, radio, communications, and research material. Uh, they would take daily records, they would collect specimens, uh, recorded weather, weather patterns, and watched for Japanese warships. Life was hard living on these islands. 
um, supplies, um, ships arrived late sometimes, um, causing some other men to suffer from dehydration. Um, the participants of Ahui uh, Panala'a were paid $3 a day um, for all their efforts. Also in 1932, there was excitement on Holland Island and the men were made preparations for the arrival of Amelia Earhart. Um, they, for, uh, they built um, a dressing or sleeping hut for her and her own little um, landing strip. And of course we know that um, she never made it to Holland Island. Um, also three men lost their lives in mid, in the mid 1941, um, Carl Kahalevai um, suffered an appendicitis and he passed away on the way back to Hawaii. Um, uh, December of 1941, um, Richard, Richard Dickey Whaley and Joseph Kili'ihananui um, were killed by Japanese attacks. Uh, the islands were eventually evacuated on um, January 31st, 1942. And then later on, finally, um, February, of nine, February 9th of 1942. Um, the history and legacy of these young men, these young men should be honored for their hardships, um, their bravery and loyalty to the U.S. Because remember now, Hawaii didn't um, gain statehood until 1959. Um, several of our colleagues are lineal descendants of Hui Panala'ao. My dad's older brother, my uncle William Kaina was part of Hui Panala'ao and the Bishop Museum have some of his workers among others um, while he served there um, in, as a part of Hui Panala'ao. That is such an interesting story and honestly one that I was not familiar with. I mean, by having this kind of designation, do you hope that um, more people can know about that kind of history? Sure, that's the goal. That's the goal of um, including this history as part of the package for uh, the sanctuary des designation um, and just to honor these men, like I said, who sacrificed their lives to um, for the loyalty and the patriotism for the United States. And Bill, I'm wondering as Andrew, you have, just, yes, go ahead. If I could just jump in and add, the, um, the Hui Panala'ao folks were actually the first protectors of these islands. And um, as Pearl Harbor was being bombed, these islands were being strafed and bombed at the same time. Um, resulting in the in the deaths of two of uh, the participants, um, uh, you know, with with direct ties to um, living people in Hawaii now. So I, those are two historical facts that we hope, with the protections of with the protections of PRI, um, it, it helps the United States and helps the people of Hawaii understand um, the need for protection and in the fact that our, our people were the first protectors of these islands. Uh, Bill, I'm wondering if you can expand upon some of the opposition uh, that Joni had just briefly mentioned. Uh, what are some of those who are maybe against uh, this distinction and against the efforts that you are moving forth with? And, and what sort of uh, oppositions are you folks having to overcome? Well, uh, you know, right off the bat, the same 
sort of opposition to Papahanaumokuakea with the Western Pacific Fisheries Management Council and, you know, their belief that they're supposed to be protecting the commercial fishery interests. The, the reality is that in PRI, um, less than 5% of the total um, effort by uh, the American purse, uh, tuna purse seiners, uh occurred in the non-protected areas. And less than half a percent of the total catch for the tuna purse-seiners um, actually came from that area. With regards to uh, Hawaii-based longliners, um, you know, their, their catches uh, is less than 4% uh, historically in, in the area, uh, the protected areas. And, you know, they have not failed to fill their quota um, for tuna um, ahead of schedule every year since both Papahana, Mokuakea, and the PRI received protections through the designation of monuments. So those are the two folks that are uh, indicating that they have the um, resistance to these additional protections. But, you know, based upon the science, based upon history, um, we can't identify um, why uh, for that little effort we wouldn't uh, take this bold step and and protect this uh, this pristine area. Yeah, and Joni, if you could add to that, you know, what is your response to some of the opposition that you're encountering on this? Sure, you know, there is a study done recently um, uh, from the University of Hawaii um, that suggests that uh, fish. Fishing outside of the protected area in Papahanaumokuakea and PRI uh, Marine National Monument have actually benefited the fishing industry. In fact, the study showed that the average revenue from 2014 to 2017 was 13.7% higher than from 2010 to 2013. So I think... Um, I think it really benefits uh, the fishing industry... Um, for protected uh, marine protected areas to be established. Uh, and I'm wondering, Joni, if you can share more about the Biden administration as a whole and, and their level of commitment to this effort, um, you know, any conversations that you may have been with uh, members of the administration who may provide some insight into how and what the future looks like for, for, you, for, for this coalition and for these group of violence. Mm -hmm. Hey, can I refer that to Bill? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think an important um, point made is the protections have been there for uh, many of these island groups since 2008 and then expanded in 2014. And then finally asking for the last two island areas to be expanded from 50 to uh, 200 and then overlaying protections from the National Marine Sanctuary. The president on March 24th, uh, 2023, a little bit over a month ago, issued a presidential memorandum uh, directing the Department of Commerce and NOAA to begin the process of um, scoping sessions for uh, a eventual marine National Marine Sanctuary process. Um, the president uh, also uh, in his policies um, seeks to protect 30% of the nation's near water, uh, the nation's marine water uh, areas. And so uh, this, this uh, designation uh, would have an impact on the 30%. Um, the president also 
his office of, um, I think it's National Marine, um, uh, National Marine, no, sorry, the National Climate Change and um, Ocean Marine Program is very supportive of uh, these protections because, you know, with climate change, uh, we do need some additional insurance measures to be taken. And so it's very important to the nation. It's very important to the president. It's very important to the Pacific Remote Islands Coalition. Yeah, and Bill, if you could expand a little bit on the timeline, sort of who gets to decide ultimately. I know the president has sort of got those key stakeholders together and um, and sort of tasked them to move forward. But what happens next? And, and, and you know, sort of if you could walk us through the process of who ultimately gets to make this call. Sure. The um, process begins with the public scoping sessions, which start on um, May 7th uh, in, in uh, Oahu, the island of Oahu. We have uh, Kamaka Ukulani um, Center for Hawaiian Studies. The, they start at 7 to 8 p.m., but I understand that they're trying to schedule like one-hour talk story sessions prior to this. Then on May 11th, uh, we go to Hilo, Mokupapapa Discovery Center. Um, and then on May 17th, uh, there's a public scoping session on Guam, uh, the time to be determined and the place to be determined. On May 18th, um, there's a uh, public scoping session in the American uh, Monument Park in uh, Saipan. There's uh, on May 19th, also to be determined on the time, Tinian Public Library um, in, in CNMI. And then we also have um, on May 24th, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. in Sunia Ocean Center in American Samoa. So covering all of the Pacific Islands as, uh, as they're part of the U.S. territories, um, seeking, scoping. The process is really to say, here, we're thinking about this idea. What do you think? Then all of that after the public scoping session and testimony um, deadline is June 2nd, uh, 2023. Um, that information gets compiled, analyzed, and gets um, becomes the basis for a draft EIS, a draft management plan, and draft regulations. That then goes back out to the public for review. Um, then that comes back in um, to the agency, and the uh, agency takes a look at those public comments. If there needs to be adjustments, the drafts are adjusted, and a final um, management plan and a final EIS is um, determined, and then um, NOAA and the Department of Commerce makes the decision based upon the criteria and the input on whether or not it becomes uh, a, a National Marine Sanctuary. That process is expected to take uh, about two years in totality. So 2000, here we are in 2023, um, early 2000, late 2024 is the, um, is the goal. Yeah, so a, a long road ahead uh, with a lot of different voices that will obviously be able to contribute. Joni, I'm wondering if you can share what you hope for from these sessions uh, as you head out into the community to learn. Uh, what are the things, some of the things that you're hearing already uh, from community members and what you're hoping that these listening and talk story sessions will provide? Sure. So firstly, um, a lot of people that I connect with already are in conservation and, and the environment community. 
um, and they are so um, excited to see that we will be um, trying to expand uh, these last two island units. Um, what I hope that the people will be educated will um, through these sessions and and hear um, what those ocean protections have to offer um, for the future generations. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just so exciting when you think about what could happen in these areas. Uh, but mm -hmm. but as as Bill noted, it is a long road ahead. When you're making that, you know, having these discussions and making that elevator pitch, if you will, to these folks, what are you, what are you saying to people as to why this is so important? I mean, you're dedicating, I'm sure, many, many hours of your time. Why are you so passionate about having this designation? Well, it goes back to my heritage. Um, my tutor always told me, my grandmother always told me that, um, you know, uh, she says that she is my living kupuna, um, but the kupuna really for all humans um, is the aina, and that includes the ocean as well. And we should be taking care of it because the, the aina um, takes care of us in return. Um, so that's my goal, uh, and that's my reasons for saving part of, of our oceans. And Bill, as we wrap up as well, I want to get a, a final thought from you as to, you know, you've been around uh, for some time in a lot of different areas of government and, of course, Native Hawaiian issues. Uh, why do you feel the important need to really be involved in this uh, effort here? And, and what are you hoping uh, that this will uh, bring to, to fruition? Well, what I what I hope is the additional protections provide um, benefits to our children and grandchildren down the road. I also believe truly that there is this is the Pacific, the year of the Pacific um, Island culture with uh, Hokulea trans circumnavigating uh, the the Pacific, as well as an opportunity to reach out to our cousins. Um, that are not just part of the United States, but actually part of Polynesia, uh, Melanesia, and Micronesia, so that we can um, join forces, um, find more similarities through uh, wayfinding and voyaging, um, which then makes us a cohesive people uh, to make the tough decisions that, that we need to do for uh, not only human beings, but for planet Earth uh, as we move forward as uh, I know is so fond of talking about the world as uh, his canoe. And before we let you go, just last question, Bill, you know, you referenced all those public meetings. Uh, if people want to take part in that work and they find you to learn more. Um, they can go to our website, which is uh, www.protectpri.com. Um, they can also go to any NOAA, uh, the Pacific NOAA website and get additional information on how to uh, submit public testimony. Of course, after the meetings, testimony will be or comments will be included all the way through June 2nd. Um, we encourage every, everyone to participate um, and learn more. It's, uh, really, this process, this journey is really about learning more about the history of this area, the benefits of this area the importance of this area um, and then making the right decision going forward.
Okay, well, William Isla and Joni Peters of the Pacific Remote Islands Coalition, thank you so much for sharing this information with us and for really educating us this morning on something very exciting that could be happening not too far off our shores. Mahalo for being here. Mahalo. Mahalo to you folks. You know, great to hear from them, Ryan, and I learned so much. Um, I, you know, have very little knowledge about this area and to hear uh, not only the environmental, you know, that, that, you know, that comes to light very quickly. You can see why that they would want these environmental protections, but also hearing about those cultural ties back to the Kingdom of Hawaii, uh, hearing about those, those men who were sent there uh, in the 1940s to try to live on those islands and the hardships they endured and the fact that they still have living relatives here in Hawaii today. I mean, you can just see why uh, that our two guests today are so passionate about getting this designation. Yeah, especially when you, as you mentioned, that cu cultural tie and the significance that it has to the people of Hawaii and its history. Uh, of course, again, you, you heard uh, Mr. Isla tiling it back to the navigations uh, and what the efforts, of course, of the mission of Hokulea and really how this islands were come were found and those first inhabitants of this island uh, all linked together through the significance of these remote islands. And so all of it completely ties together. Uh, and then you also heard about that importance for just the marine security, uh, for the environment causes that are important to protect these areas. Uh, there are some pushback and opposition that they are receiving from some of the fisheries in the area who want to be able to utilize this area. But you really heard their case as to why uh, this should be a place that is uh, sacred and should be protected moving forward, uh, and it seems like they have the support of the Biden administration and, and officials in the area who, who are looking to make this happen. Yeah, we encourage you to get involved in those listening sessions. They found, sound very exciting, and they're happening across the state and throughout the region. Um, and we will be tracking this issue for you. We're going to be following it. They did say it'll take up to two years for us to figure out you know, what, if this will actually happen, but we'll be tracking it for you, and we appreciate our guests being here this morning. On Friday, we are turning back to Honolulu Hale and talking to uh, City Council Chair Tommy Waters. There is a lot happening with the council and some push pull between the council and the mayor's office when it comes to the budget. What are the priorities? Will homeowners get the tax credits uh, that they've been asking for when it comes to the property tax bills? Uh, and also, should the city council members and the administration get some of those raises that the salary commission has proposed? We'll be asking about all of that right here at 1030 on Friday. We'll see you then. Aloha. <laughs> 